feel the warmth of the rays And then you know you're alive And you don't have to be afraid of anything Cause you know, you know the truth and the truth The truth is love, yes it is Doesn't what they said to you Or anything that you learn From a book or from the news It's not like that cause it's a thing It is something that you do Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to The Baseline. I'm Jeremiah Hosea, the host of this program. This program airs every Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, exclusively on the Progressive Radio Network. And it's such an honor to be here. I really, I'm just so excited every time I show up in this studio. I mean, it's such an incredible experience to bring the incredible guests that we've had to the PRN airwaves and the PRN listening family. And once again, we have an amazing guest. I mean, I hate to toot my own horn, but you know, it's like, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, patting myself on the back, I must say, because we've just managed to have such incredible guests. And today we have another incredible, incredible guest. And, uh, you know, I've tried in my life to be a Renaissance man as well as I can. I'm a bass player. I'm a chess instructor. I'm a martial artist. I'm a self-trained intellectual, I guess you could say. Now I'm a citizen journalist, which I'm really excited to be. But, um, Today's guest is a Renaissance man of a higher order. We have an utterly brilliant individual on the line with us. Dr. Richard Fleming is a physicist, if I'm not mistaken. He's a scientist. He's a doctor who is trained in nuclear cardiology, which he's going to explain to us. And he's an attorney. I mean, who's ever heard of such a thing? I mean, talk about a multi-genius this man has spent a lot of time studying and learning, and I am so honored to present to you the honorable and learned Dr. Richard Fleming. Dr. Fleming, are you on the line with us? Can you hear me? Testing one, two, three. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Excellent. Okay, good. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleming. It's such an honor to have you on our program today. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, well, we have a lot to talk about. I want to get into your background, but first of all, I want to get right into the action. This show is a medical freedom dedicated program, for those of you who don't know, for those of you who haven't uh, noticed that running theme. And here we have a heavyweight in the medical freedom movement. Um, I think it was the Yankee announcer, Ken Singleton, who used to refer to uh, the power hitters in the lineup as the big boppers. And Dr. <laughs> Fleming is a big bopper. Um, he uh, is very kind. not only extremely knowledgeable, but extremely courageous. And one of the myths of the COVID, whatever you want to call it, the COVID era that's been uh, 
you know, ushered into the world is this notion that all the doctors agreed that this was just a wonderful thing that we all needed to receive ex experimental, emergency experimental injections, and there was no debate about that. And anyone who said otherwise must have been crazy or involved in some, you know, ideological nuttiness. But um, that's not true at all. In fact, I noticed the opposite. I noticed the people who were speaking out against the regime were so much more detailed in their description of what was going on. While the public was being steered in a certain direction, we had courageous voices like Dr. Fleming warning about the dangers of what was transpiring. Now, I want to get right into the discussion, Dr. Fleming, about the origins of the COVID virus, because this is something that um, I think is of paramount importance. I've said it here on the program before. You can't take um, so many measures in regard to an emergency and not concern yourself with the origin of the emergency. That just doesn't make sense. So the origin of this virus is of paramount importance. And um, as Dr. Merrill Nass said on this program previously, when you hear the term gain of function, that means bio-warfare, right? We can try to use flowery language or claim it's for the advancement of medical science, but when you're increasing the pathogenicity of pathogens, that's bio-warfare. And Dr. Fleming has been bold enough to refer to COVID-19 as a bio-weapon. Um, can you get right into that, the, the element of bio-warfare that we're facing on this planet at this point, Dr. Fleming? Right, right. Well, you know, the United States signed a treaty known as the Biological Weapons Convention Treaty just after the Vietnam War, after my era, um, uh, agreeing along with a number of other countries that the development of biological weapons should not be tolerated and we would not participate in it. And then the United States government, the federal government, went ahead and did more than just the treaty law, but they enacted 18 U.S.C. Section 174 water that states not only will we not build biological weapons but we will not even take for example viruses out of their natural environment and modify them that according to that law that federal law we have then violated the law and it doesn't matter who you are i think we've all heard this phrase now it doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter if you're a president, an ex-president, a senator, the a, a person down the street. If you break the law, you're a criminal. And there's enough people who get punished for not being criminals as it is. But clearly, if you break treaty law and you break this federal law and you develop something that is proven to increase the infectivity or the pathogenicity, the danger of being infected by it, that you have violated these laws. So the crux of everything that, that people call COVID, which is actually the disease, coronavirus disease, which is the inflammation and blood clotting or inflammatory thrombotic response to these viruses and also to the genetic vaccines, that when you do that, you have developed a weapon system. Now, what I simply did, along with a number of other people who, who provided input, was to look at what is the virus that we call SARS-CoV-2. What is it really? What does it look like? What's its structure? And when 
I took the PCR data and said, let's, let's revisit this thing. Let's look at all the, the genetic code of this and ask some fundamental questions. What else does it look like? Uh, that, that unraveled part of the mystery. And, and what we discovered, what I discovered, I guess, um, is that the virus that we call SARS-CoV-2 actually matches three other viruses. One that's known as RSSHC014, which previously in 2003 was called SARS-CoV-2 by Ralph Barrick of the University of North Carolina. And then it also matches SARS-CoV-MA15 and SARS-CoV-RS3367. Why is that important? Um, it's not for me to give you numbers and to try to impress you that I know something you don't because that's stupid. It's important because those viruses were developed by humans. Which humans? Well, Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina, Shi Zeng Li at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the people at Fort Detrick who tried to recruit me as a physicist to come work in their lab on viruses funded by NIAID um, until two months after they started trying to recruit me, the book came out. It's COVID-19, a bioweapon. You know, the book that I published laying this information out and then Fort Detrick quit communicating with me. Um, it shows that the monies came from the United States Department of Defense, from NIAID, from NIH, from several federal government agencies, over half of it, including Health and Human Services, by the way. Over half of it came from HHS and the Department of Defense. So when you have the military, and, and let's remember Eisenhower when he was trying to tell us as, as he was leaving office and JFK was coming in, his warning was about the military-industrial complex. And Eisenhower knew about it. Eisenhower had been a general, for crying out loud. For anybody who doesn't remember that, the man was a general in the U.S. Army and then became president of the United States. So if he warns of a military-industrial complex, you might want to pay attention. And... Nothing was done about it, and the money continues to flow for this type of research. The United States Department of Defense hasn't built a weapon that they haven't tested. We're the only country who's actually detonated a nuclear device on somebody else's homeland. Let's not forget that. Despite all the, the Cold War era that I lived through, um, and, and I don't know how old you are. Um, you know, my generation lived through a Cold War era where we did, you know, our duck and cover drills in, in elementary school as if that was going to protect us from a nuclear blast. Um, like a face mask. Yeah, well, okay, there you go. Um, uh, the, the problem here is that the data is very clear. Um, Fauci and Collins and Barrick and Xi Lee, these people have been involved in criminal actions. Now, other than Kerry Mullis, the only person who's dared challenge uh, Barrick, or not Barrick, but Fauci. Fauci to a debate, is me. And I, I actually sent him emails. I invited him to come to the conferences that we were doing and said, you know, you, you, can, you can present your side of the story. Let's let the people ask questions, and you and I will stand there and we will debate it. Millis can't answer anymore, but I'm still there. I'm, I'm still happy to discuss this with, with Fauci, either in, in public venue or in, a, or in a courtroom, because eventually my goal is to get him and the others 
criminally indicted. I, I could use the help of people by going to 10letters.org and going on there and sending a cover letters and indictment letters that are already made for you to your governor and attorney general. Excellent. But we have cases. We have cases that we have put together where the people died because of the virus. And that's, that's the pivotal, critical thing, because everything else is civil litigation, which means all anybody's talking about is money. Nobody's talking about putting people behind bars for the crimes they did. The only thing that way you can do that is on the gain of function viruses that these people made. And once we get this to the grand jury, and we do have people looking at it right now, investigating these cases to present to grand juries. Once we get a grand jury indictment, we change the picture because that means that we will have a case that will go to federal court, either in the state where the attorney generals are or in D.C., wherever they want to do it. I don't personally care. Where these people will, will have to answer for these crimes. And, once, and we've done focus groups. Once the people that we talk to with me outside of the room, so I'm not influencing anybody. Once the people understand that these viruses were built, they're not naturally occurring, they cause deaths, it's a simple walk in the park to make this statement, and they understand this, well, if the viruses are biological warfare, they're bioweapons, they're illegal, and the genetic vaccines code for that i don't know ladies and gentlemen the jury you tell me is that a crime well i'll let them handle that from there but there's a lot lot of uh criticism that comes on the other side that's incorrect too where people say well they didn't die from the virus they died from a heart attack or a stroke well guess what that means they died from the virus because as I explained at American Heart in 1994, when I brought out the inflammatory thrombotic response theory, although then as a physicist, I dubbed it the Fleming Unified Theory because physicists, we tend to think of everything and can we unify what we're seeing into a simple package or understanding. So what I explained then and what has been borne out with HIV and, and SARS-CoV-2 and all the other viruses and a number of other genetic vaccines is that once you introduce um, these viruses or even bacteria into the system, they cause inflammation and blood clotting and inflammatory thrombotic response, which means once you tip that off, you get strokes, you get heart attacks, you get kidney failure, you get miscarriages, you get you, you get heart attacks and, and you get death. So we have lost almost 1.2 million Americans, which means in the last four years, there are more dead Americans due to the inflammatory thrombotic response known as COVID-19 caused by these biological viral weapons. More deaths than the United States military has lost since 1776 using theirs and just accepting those numbers because nobody's arguing those numbers. 1.5 million are more injuries, more maiming of Americans than U.S. troops have been maimed or injured since 1776. 
we have another 600,000 excess deaths, including heart attacks and strokes, kidney damage, high blood pressure, Alzheimer's disease, because this, this spike protein has several pyogenic components, which means the spike protein causes the same thing that people heard when they heard about mad cow disease. And when that happens in the heart, it's called amyloidosis. So if you're a nuclear cardiologist like myself, you know that this has been happening. The general cardiologists that are out there, they don't do nuclear imaging. They, they, they haven't been trained to, so they don't do these studies. So they don't find the amyloidosis being caused. But we know that amyloid heart disease and amyloid to the pancreas causing diabetes is, is happening and amyloid in the brain causing Alzheimer's. And the animal studies showed this early on. I mean, it was very obvious from the mice studies and from the rhesus macaque, uh, you know, monkey type models that are the closest thing to human studies that the viruses and the vaccines cause this. Uh, I just presented and it's posted on Fleming Method. If you just go there, You'll pull up the first page. There's three lectures that I that I give with 500 slides explaining all this in scientific detail. It's not conjecture. It's not hypothesis. I even have on there the information that explains to people why the genetic vaccines cause sudden cardiac death. In other words, these athletes that you see die. And it's not what you've been hearing about. It's that the genetic vaccines, when they were made by Carrico and Wasserman, who they, and their paper was published in 2008. I didn't share this for the better part of a year, and I waited until I presented it at the VCICI conference in September, and I'm going to present it again in Bandera, Texas, at the Freedom Alliance presentation on the 9th of November. Um, they very clearly showed that what they did is they took the mRNA, the messenger ribonucleic acid molecule, that's unstable, and they made it stable by changing uridine to pseudouridine. And all they did was they flipped a couple atoms around and that made pseudouridine. And, and they said very clearly in their paper that one, they had made a stable mRNA. They were proud of that. That's what they're getting the Nobel Prize for, and they deserve it because that was an accomplishment. But that they are not responsible for what people have done with that. They, they Their job was to see if they could do it. Number two, they also pointed out in that paper <clears throat> in 2008 that by doing that, it didn't produce an immune response. No interferon or very little interferon was made. So as they said, it's not useful for a vaccine. So here's the people telling you we made the molecule. It's stable, and it is not useful as a vaccine. They did say it was a promising tool for gene replacement, right, transfection. So in this 2008 paper, they, they stated all that. Now, what that means is even more important than those simple statements because by suppressing interferon, it increases something known as vascular endothelial growth factor, VEGF. 
And we know in cardiology that when that happens, that interferes with the electrical activity of the heart. When the prion disease and the heart damage is caused to the heart, that also interferes with that electrical activity of the heart. And when you couple those two things together and then increase the heart rate of people, so if they're infected, if they're stressed, if they're physically deconditioned, so their heart rate has to go up just to do normal things that they shouldn't have to have a heart rate increase, or if you have somebody who increases their heart rate because of activity, like exercise, sports, and you put that combination together, what will happen is you will interfere with the electrical activity of the heart and they will die. Now this is pretty well established and I lay it out in the, in the presentation. So <clears throat> the viruses cause this damage, the genetic vaccines cause this damage, and once you've had both, you can't split out which one it is, but clearly, if you have a fire going from one and you pour gasoline on it from the other, the fire's not going to go out. <laughs> Most, you know, I think a second grader can tell you it'll probably get bigger, right? So this entire approach, I mean, again, I was a medical student when HIV came through and hit the scenes, and a good friend of mine and I were looking at this prior to his passing. Professor Wismontnier and I knew each other. Um, we didn't know it at the time of HIV in the early 1980s when I was a student, but we, we connected in later years and we were looking at these and we were looking at issues we were concerned about and the similarities because part of the HIV molecule, the, the glycoprotein 120, is also part of, the, the, of what Xi uh, Zhang Li inserted into these SARS viruses almost two decades ago now to begin the process of developing these biological viral weapons. And the, the, the reality here is the people that were responsible for this knew what they were doing. <clears throat> now, I don't think, and this is just my opinion, that they intentionally release these viruses because all their behavior to me shows panic. People running a protocol running labs, making these viruses, these folks panic. If you look at the records, not only does the Fauci emails show panic, but all the people involved with him and all the people in Wuhan, you see panic in their communications, which means they lost control and now they were trying to cover it up. And I think the American people would have been amazingly forgiving had they come clean right up front, had they said, you know what, we have to be honest with you, we, we develop weapons because that's our job. We might need them. We, we need to understand what other people are doing. But had they come clean with that and said, and now we have a problem and, and we need your help. We, we need you to understand that we need to get the genie back in the bottle, so to speak. But they didn't do that. You know, when I started the Crimes Against Humanity Tour last year uh, in March in 2022, uh, about three to four weeks before we started that is when everybody heard about the Ukrainian labs 
the bio labs in Ukraine. And so my first presentation went from having to explain to people so they would understand that these labs exist to taking slides of newspapers, publications showing that not only were there labs there, but we, the U.S. military is admitting there were more labs than people thought. And when you realize that Putin and his people had biological labs in the Ukraine, but they knew there were weapons there. They were helping to build some. And then the U.S. comes in and builds labs in the Ukraine and, and furthers that research. You can understand, and I don't like Putin. Let's just get that straight in case anybody has a question. Um, you can understand why Putin would be sitting there somewhat nervous, right? I mean, I would. Surely. I, I think most most reasonable people will. If you, if you threaten a, a man. I can only speak as a man. I cannot speak as a woman. I'm a man. If you threaten my children, I will react. Right? Likewise. If you threaten what I am responsible for taking care of, I will react. You will not like it. Um, so in that sense, I completely get that. Right? Sure. So we, we went through the work. We have assembled 10,000 documents between myself between uh, Dr. Kevin McCarron, who's probably the world's expert on prion disease and in animal models out of Japan, Mr. Charles Rixey, who is a former U.S. military weapons of mass destruction instructor, uh, Johanna Deinert, a virologist physician in Germany, and Andrew Huff, uh, who worked at EcoHealth Alliance and helped write the grants for this, this research uh, with, uh, with Peter Dazak in New York, um, uh, who ended up funding money to, to Ralph Barrick and Xi Zheng Li and other individuals. Um, we have U.S. military document records, by the way, showing special forces troops that performed admirably, who after they were either infected and or genetically vaccinated, can't run a mile, can't run a minute, <laughs> period. Um, we have documents that showed that drugs were being stolen for for patients in hospital who had, quote, COVID, unquote, uh, and not given to them and sold uh, for profit. We have uh, documents on respiratory therapists who didn't do their jobs. We have documents coming from experts showing that, you know, SB40 is not the issue, even though people are talking about it. We have published research showing that when we took the vaccines under a microscope and added them to human blood, that human blood turns gray within 15 to 20 seconds and begins to clot. Everything that I said in the 1994 theory sadly is true. And and we tested it with normal saline and atropine and Domitor, the latter one being an aesthetic, the second one being a, a drug for heart rhythm and normal saline, most people know, is that IV that you get. None of those change the blood from red to gray. None of those make the blood clot. So it's not a matter of adding something to them under a microscope. It's not a matter of the amount of time under the microscope. All three genetic vaccines, the Pfizer, Moderna, and Janssen, did this to every person we tested it on, whether they were vaccinated, whether they hadn't been vaccinated, whether they'd been sick with COVID, whether they hadn't been sick with COVID, um, <clears throat> to the person. <clears throat> so we have that data. We have data that shows um, that the recombinant DNA, however, in and of itself, can cause protein 
malfolding and cause pyogenic disease. So one of the things that has been completely missed by a lot of the cardiology community, most everybody, um, is this pyogenic effect, this damage to the proteins of the heart that is responsible for some of the heart attacks and, and, and the sudden cardiac deaths and the Alzheimer's disease. Um, you know, right now we have uh, uh, Alzheimer's disease in and of itself as of the 7th of August. Since this entire thing began in 2020, 112,673 excess above and beyond normal Alzheimer's pyogenic disease. Over 280,000 additional heart attacks, strokes, high blood pressure. Only 8,000 respiratory pulmonary deaths. But it, it is naive and incorrect to say that these people didn't die from COVID because they didn't die from a pneumonia. These viruses and these genetic vaccines cause an inflammatory thrombotic response. And if they're left untreated, you die from strokes, from heart attacks, from cancers, from pyogenic diseases of the brain. There are nine pathways and they're in those presentations, you know, Fleming Method, go there. It'll be on those three presentations. It's what I presented at the VCICI conference, what I'm going to present in Bandera. There are nine pathways that we have data that proves that these viruses and these genetic vaccines activate these nine pathways for cancer. But there is also evidence published research, and you'll see it. Most of my slides will have at the bottom of each slide the research that's been published so you can go and read it. You don't need to take my word for it. I'm not asking anybody to take my word for it. When people tell me things, I very seldom take their word for it. I go check on it, and you can do that. You may not have a PhD, an MD, or a JD, but, you know, the smartest man and woman I ever met in my life had an 8th grade and 12th grade education. And they were brilliant people. And I would, I, I, I would venture to say my parents were smarter than I am. I, I, I just, I have no hesitancy in that. Um, the reality is people can look at things and get a general impression. And even if you can't understand the papers, you can go to them and say, it's published. It's real. Somebody, somebody thought this was valid and published it. For, the, for crying out loud, Carrico and Wasserman just got awarded the Nobel Prize for their work on these, on these, uh, uh, on stabilizing mRNA. Now, they, they weren't out there trying to develop genetic vaccines. They simply said, we made a stable mRNA molecule. Here's how we did it. It doesn't stimulate an immune response, so it's completely useless as a vaccine, but it can be used for gene therapy. Out of the uh, mouths of babes, uh, you know, whatever, whatever expression you want, uh, the horse's mouth, um, the people who did it told everybody in 2008. So, you know, what, 15 years ago? <laughs> well, I have to say, Dr. Fleming, um, you know, you're a flamethrower, as I expected. And uh, 
I'm already going to have to ask you for a follow-up interview, even though we're only halfway through this program, because, I mean, I have other questions that I'd like to ask you, but then all the statements that you just made uh, just now make me think about a lot of other things I would like to ask you about. Um, for example, just now you were mentioning that, you know, you, you believe that this is an accident, and I don't disagree with you. I, I don't claim knowledge one way or another of how all of this transpired. I'm just trying to gather this massive, multi-layered body of information as well as I can. While, as I state over and over again on this program, I am claiming no expertise whatsoever. So you can't accuse me of claiming anything that... um. I'm not credentialed in. I am a bass player. Yes, I have taught chess in the New York City area and elsewhere for 20 years. I'm a father of two. I'm a married man, etc. But I don't claim anything that I can't uh, confirm. However, just from sort of a street smarts um, point of view, just sort of just the way things work on the street, it's like, you know, it, how could this be an accident when all these other very intentional things were then enacted as a result of right. the accident. Right. And I also want to ask you, so when we say bioweapon, just for clarity's sake here, I want to, I want to clarify something here. So we have the spike protein, which is effectively the bioweapon. Now, is, are the vaccines, the novel genetic quote-unquote injections that were mismarketed or falsely marketed as vaccines, are, are those products also bioweapons? Is it an, uh, an encapsulation of the same weapon, but in a different format? So are we, first of all, here's my two questions to follow up what we just sure. discussed. One is when we refer to the bioweapon, are we referring to both the virus originally as the, vi the vi bioweapon and then the, um, the genetic vaccines as another form of the bioweapon? That's question number one. And then question number two is, um, and, I, and I'm trying to phrase this properly, how is this um, effective as a weapon in the sense that it harms people in such an unpredictable <clears throat> manner, right? Like if I stab you with a knife, I'm, I'm puncturing right. your body with a knife. If I shoot right. you with a gun, I'm you know attempting right. to shoot you with a bullet. But I mean, what kind of strange weapon that can undermine people in this you know, myriad of ways, and then leave other people seemingly healthy for the time being. And I'm not trying to be a doomsday person. No, I'm no, very no, no, concerned no. in terms of yeah. the harm that's been observed. How could this possibly be in your body and not ultimately inflict harm on some level? That seems impossible, which I, it right. takes me to my well, next question, which I don't want to jump ahead into my third question. Let's just sure. continue with <laughs> okay. what I just asked well, out there. To, to begin with, I actually was a police officer at one point in time. Oh, my goodness. Come on, man. <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a marksman. And so my first response to the with most people pointing a gun is, if you just stand still, they'll probably miss you. <laughs> um, so uh, number one, the, the, so the bioweapon is the virus, okay, which is why, you know, the, the genetic vaccines have all this protection under the law. And I would argue that Ronald Reagan did a, a few really stupid things. Um, one was to give this vaccine clemency because my perspective is, and I understand the argument now as an attorney, Supreme Court decides, well, we'll never get vaccines that we need because they're telling us there's inherent risk. Well, 
you know, if there is an inherent risk, like going on a ride at Disneyland or being an advanced scuba diver like I am and going under the water, you have to sign a consent that says, I assume the risk, right? You don't, you don't, people can't force you to do that. You can't be mandated to accept a risk. Um, so I, I disagree with the approach of we, we have to allow this, this uh, freedom from being uh, sued uh, as, as, a, as big pharma uh, vaccine manufacturers because you, the product is inherently risky. If it's inherently risky, the question ought to be, should we be doing this? You can't force people to do that. Maybe you can say, you know, it's up to you, but you can't force people to, to put on a scuba tank and throw weights on them and, and throw them into the ocean, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's what idiots can I, like Can I, I interject do, something but, there quickly as well? Sure. Um, which is, sure. I've made the statement that if the government mandated the entire population eat a fresh organic apple they would kill thousands of people in doing so because everybody's bio makeup is different and some people are actually that severely allergic so one thing that concerns me about the way this whole thing unfolded was this you know basically almost like this human sacrifice concept of public policy and one thing that troubles me so deeply is the people who claim that uh, the vaccines are not injuring people and so on and so forth they're so disinterested in the number of people who were actually harmed. You know, so let's say uh, 180 million yeah. people, I'm just making up these numbers, I'm not referring to anything specific, I'm being, you know, hypothetical, but let's say approximately 180 million people received an injection and one in a million people were severely injured and some of them died. Well, then who are the 180 well, people? Let's acknowledge them. Yeah. Like, it amazes My, me, uh, this notion that, oh, well, it's not harmful and, uh, well, we don't really know how many people it harmed, but we don't care. You know, here, here's an interesting uh, side note. When uh, Before I went to medical college, I actually worked as an orderly because I thought it would be an important thing to do to get the grasp on that. And one of the patients I took care of was a, uh, was a Guillain-Barre patient, mm. neurologically damaged patient from the swine flu vaccine mm. uh, of, the, of the 1970s era. And 60 Minutes did a, a story on the swine flu vaccine, and I think there were 52 deaths. And that was enough to put a, a stop on that swine flu vaccine. So one of the comments I've made to people is that we seem to live in a society right now where we're all holding hands and singing kumbaya and we all care about each other. And, uh, Since and, when and, and is 30, what I always and, ask. And 30, right, and 34,516 deaths, last time I looked at the numbers, accepted from the vaccines, attention. But back in the 1970s when people like me you know, we're, we're cold-hearted and we didn't care about anything. 52 deaths was enough for us to say, that's it. And so the contrast that I'm trying to make here is that if we were such a bad society when I was growing up and, and 52 deaths got a halt on this, how is it that you can define us as such a loving kumbaya society when there's over 35,500 deaths? Right. I mean, you know, you get the disparity here. It's, it's, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. We, we all care. Um, obviously, no. We, we seem butchers. to care more. Yeah. Um, so to try to get these questions back here. So the genetic vaccines are the criminal action. Hmm. And that's why I said, you know, the vaccines themselves are, are it's not the SV40. That's a product to try to get the, the replication of the protein. And I explained to people back in March of 2021, 
in Dallas when I was giving lectures that if you look at how these these proteins are made from these from these gene sequences, there has to be a promoter region here doing it, or it would only make the the, the spike protein once and it would be done. But that's not what it does. So even then, I was warning there has to be something there we're not being told about, and it turns out that that doesn't cause any any a threat to the vaccine manufacturers because it's part and parcel of how they have to make the vaccines that the, the government has, bear in mind the U.S. military has done, uh, had hearings in the past for other vaccines that have been given to people that cause heart damage, right? So this is not a new phenomenon. The problem is they have this card blanche. What we do know is that the work that we've done looking at the vaccines under the microscope, there's there's crystalline particles, there's hair particles, there's follow, uh, fiber uh, products in there. That makes an impure product that violates legally what's known as strict product liability. Hmm. And that's separate from the vaccines. So that's the only way you're going to get the vaccines. But I would argue I don't care. I want We have to go at this from the correct point of view. So if you're doing surgery with me or a cardiac cath procedure with me or anything else, and you're a student, you have to listen to me explain to you there is a correct way and an incorrect way to do these procedures and to go after the problem. And the correct way is you go after the crime, you eliminate the grand jury, and you eliminate the jury holding these criminals accountable. And then you look at them and you say, ladies and gentlemen, the jury, now that you understand that these genetic sequences that make up this virus are man-made sequences that are biological viral weapons, I'm going to leave it to you to decide. Do you think that a vaccine, just because we call it a vaccine, that has the same coding sequence to make the same structure that we have now proven is a biological viral weapon. Ladies and gentlemen, you tell me, does that make the genetic vaccines also a biological viral weapon? And I think you're going to find an amazingly resounding response because our focus groups all have this aha moment where they go, explicative, <laughs> fill it in with whatever you want to do. Guilty. <clears throat> All right. So that was the first question. What was the second question? Um, the second question was just basically in terms of the intent of a weapon, right? In terms of, a, oh, of such right, a vaguely right, right, applied right. weapon where you could drop dead right. today or in, a, or in 10 years. And we're not sure. Right. So or you're we, just going to have an infection to, or an autoimmune disorder. We don't know. You know you can, yeah. Yeah. So during, during the Vietnam conflict, my generation... Um, thank you very much. The, uh, the, the military kind of changed the, the approach from killing the enemy to maiming the enemy. Because if you maim the enemy, you not only took them off the battlefield, but usually one or two friends that wanted to protect them. So the goal of using a weapon is not necessarily to decimate and kill everybody, but to decimate their society to, you know, remove everything valuable that they have, right? And I think most people would have to somewhat honestly reflect on the last four years 
in the United States and, and other countries and say, wow, everything that we knew that was our society got affected. Absolutely. I mean, whether it was earning a living or the friends that you had or your ability to, to you know, I lived in Los Angeles when this hit, and, you know, they were shutting off power and water to homes that dared to to have people over to their home. Wow. Well, it's like you a know, caller to this I mean, program pointed out. What part of emergency means now you suddenly have the right to violate my rights? Right. Exactly. You know, at, at what point in time did the United States Constitution get set aside? I mean, wh- who is it? The Arizona? The Ariz- I think it was the Arizona governor who did this gun control thing uh, a couple of months ago because she decided she had the right to do it and nothing in the Constitution was absolute. I beg your pardon. This is where I'm really now going to get on my family history. My mm-hmm. Flemings, you know, the, the, the Declaration of Independence... One third of that document came from the British people of the 1600s where they were upset with their king. And the other two thirds of it was translated from Flemish, the Belgium Fleming document Hmm. that talked about the rights of the people. And all Jefferson did was he translated those words from Flemish to English and, and added on what the British people said about their king. And you have the Declaration of Independence. So I'm pretty certain, and, and, and not to mention, not in addition to the fact that one of my ancestors, Captain Fleming, crossed the Delaware with Washington on Christmas Eve. Hmm. I think I have a right to address what is meant by the United States Constitution and what a Declaration of Independence meant. Right. And nowhere in there, and if you, you don't have to take my word for it, go read the Federalist Papers. I encourage people to. And you'll see that the Founding Fathers initially gave up a lot to bring the people together under the United States Constitution. But they knew that it took too many rights away from the people. But they knew that they had to do that up front to, to get everybody to work together. And they so they had an amendment clause so they could come back and amend the United States Constitution to restore freedoms for the people. And the first 10 they came up with were called the Bill of Rights to give people back their freedoms that had been taken from them so that the government could never again take those freedoms from them. And now you know, you get this, this uh, twit of a governor in Arizona who seemed to think that she, you know, that she, Nothing, nothing in the Constitution uh, or the amendments that are permanent. Well, there's a rule, set of rules that were laid down in that document that if you want to change it, you kind of have to follow those rules. You don't get to arbitrarily say as governor or even as president of the United States that I'm just going to unilaterally change the rules because I want to. We should, you know, but that being said, the Supreme Court has also ruled that the president, essentially, the executive branch gets to do whatever they want to unless the legislative branch, you know, Congress, Article 1, comes in and says, Mr. President, you don't have the right to do that. You just get, don't get to do that. So if the, if the Congress doesn't get its act together and come in and say you can't do that, well, guess what? According to the Supreme Court, whatever the president says goes. That's where the people need to get involved. And the reality is, the people haven't been getting involved. 
The right. people have taken the attitude of let's let somebody else do the work for us. And this is what you get when you get lackadaisical and allow people to do whatever they want to do. And you don't put your foot down and you don't say you don't get to do that. People do things you don't like. That's how Adolf Hitler got into power. That's how Genghis Khan got into power. That's how every dictator in history has gotten into power. When Gearing was being um, uh, cross-examined at Nuremberg, he looked at the U.S. attorney and he said, look, you, you really only need to do a few things. Uh, you need to tell people there's a problem. You need to tell them what they have to do to solve the problem. And you have to tell them that anybody who doesn't go along with that is a terrorist or a traitor. And you have to you have to imprison them, right? And and the U.S. attorney said, "Well, we no no, we live in a democracy. Well, one, we don't live in a democracy. This is a republic, not a democracy." Um, I know people love to use that term, and it means that they don't know the difference. A republic is uh, you vote for people to represent you. A democracy is you represent yourself. Okay, so we have a republic, not a democracy. But Gearing came back and he said, no, no. He said, it doesn't matter if you have a parliament, a democracy, a republic, fascist, socialist, communist. It doesn't matter. The people are all the same. If you can get the people to go along with those three things. We have a problem, here's the only solution, and if you don't follow that solution, those people are a threat to you, you can control anybody you want. And and speaking as someone who has a master's in psychology, and mine's in experimental psychology, not not counseling, um, you can get people to do whatever you want. I mean, you, you, trust me, you can get people to do whatever you want. Right. Well, unfortunately, Dr. Fleming, we're, we're at the home stretch. We have a little bit of time. And like I said, I hope you can join us again sometime soon because this is just fascinating. And uh, we'd like to tap into all of your various minds, your medical mind, your legal <laughs> mind, your historical mind. It's, it's quite fascinating. This is really um, thrilling to hear you speak. Um, but I wanted to get before we and I also want to leave time to uh, make sure everyone knows how to follow you, how to keep up with your work. And um, I want to also apologize to our listeners today. There will not be calls today. And I know that was the case last week. Different shows, as you may have noticed, take on different formats. This is where we have a guest who's just a store of information. And we just want to just keep throwing grapefruits and hitting as many home runs out of the park until we run out of time. So um, next week, there's not going to be a guest. The guest is going to be me and you. So I'm leaving extra time for folks to call in because I love that aspect of our show, but we just, you know, we, we have limitations, unfortunately, and I want to really maximize our opportunity to uh, get this information out to the public. But the question I would like to get into now professor or Dr. Fleming is um, regarding your expertise as a cardiologist. If you could quickly tell us, and like I said, we're, we're up against it in terms of time, but um, what is nuclear cardiology? And I want to just quickly uh, explain to the audience, you know, I've been sort of battling on Twitter recently, and I've been battling with an anti, anti-vaxxer, a character I don't want to mention. He's a rather tedious character, and I don't want to promote him in any way. I don't feel like he debates in good faith, and he sort of lambastes people. Um, I had a fun little outing on his Tuesday night Twitter space. I went in there. It's like going into enemy gang territory. 
Um, yeah, they were trying to rough me up, but I, I was deflecting them. I, I, I even got some inbox messages. Hey, you did a great job against those guys. I felt pretty pumped up, actually. But um, I want to ask you, I was amazed because I know people who have heart issues since receiving their vaccine. I know an unusual number of people who have heart issues. I know people who have had heart attacks and died, or I, I knew people. There are people who I've, I've lost, I believe I've lost friends due to these vaccines and specifically due to cardiac related death. Um, there's also the number of just strange examples, Damar Hamlin having a heart attack, the first ever NFL game that was not completed because a player had a heart attack right in the beginning of the game on national television. Um, LeBron James, uh, his son having a cardiac episode in a warm-up, and no one's pointed out that this is the son of the most durable basketball player in history. I mean, this is a man who's played more basketball, literally, because of his success and the number of playoff games and championship games he's played in. He's played more basketball than any other professional player. No heart attack for him, but his young son has a heart attack and a warm-up. I mean, on and on and on, there's these vast compilations. Now, considering all the, the cardiac death that has been described, considering that there are leading cardiologists in the world who are saying, plain and simple, this stuff is damaging people's hearts, which to me should be enough to stop the press. Let's look at what's going on here. But unfortunately, there's an effort to silence all of these dissenting voices. Um, I heard a statement from this individual um, whose name I'm not going to use, or I don't actually I don't know his name and his handle I'm not going to refer to, but <laughs> a, yeah, a a strange claim that um, that the cardiac deaths are down in the past two years. Now I know statistics can be manipulated in any number of ways, and I've heard actually already a fairly good explanation of how that could be the case, which is sort of similar to what I thought intuitively as I thought it through on my own. But tell us from your point of view as a, as a heart expert. What's going on with people's hearts? And is it an accurate, to, an accurate statement to say that cardiac death is down in the past two years since the rollout of what Michelle well, Zadowski calls the killer vaccines? Yeah, one, one, one of the things I was pointing out early on in 1994 was that cholesterol was part of the problem, but there were other things like viruses and bacteria. So there had been some gradual improvement showing up over the course of time where the numbers were coming down. But since January of 2020, um, uh, there, the, the number of increased cardiovascular disease deaths is as of the 7th of August, as I mentioned earlier, was over 280,000 excess deaths above and beyond what's expected. So that, that, that statement clearly points out that there is an increase in the number of deaths. They're uh, excess above and beyond what, what we would expect. There are a little bit more than 36,000 excess cancer deaths that have occurred in that amount of time. So the numbers are according to the CDC, because I take this straight from the CDC website, up for both heart attacks, strokes, and cancers. Um, their numbers, not mine. So as far as his comment, or, or he or she, who knows, or it, I guess, uh, comments, uh, those numbers are up. So to say that they're down is an incorrect statement and is in contrast to what the CDC is reporting. Interesting. That's what I thought. 
Um, so yeah, unfortunately, we only have three minutes left, uh, Dr. Fleming. It's just it's been such a pleasure to hear you speak. You're such a brilliant individual, and it's been an honor to have you on our airwaves. Where can people find find you? And could you mention some of the resources that you you mentioned? Your book, um, the campaign you're a part of, your own website. Please uh, reiterate those sure. you know those websites, those contact details. So let let me begin with the with the campaign because it's more important than I am. Uh, it's the number ten followed by the word letters l e t t e r s dot o r g. You can go onto that site. You can enter your name and your address, and it will make a cover letter for you to your governor and your attorney general. If you don't want your name to show, there's a box to click that says, don't show that. But that's what allows us to put a cover letter together for you to your governor and to your attorney general. And you can download those cover letters, and then there, at the top, there's something called the indictment letter. Download two of those, one for your governor, one for your attorney general, and mail those in because this is the opportunity for the people to say, look, these crimes have been committed. These are the experts. These are the crimes. We want a grand jury, a real grand jury indictment by the system to go after these people. So that's number one. Two, Fleming method, just one M in Fleming, no stuttering, all together. Fleming, F-L-E-M-I-N-G-M-E-T-H-O-D.com is a website. Has lots of information. It has to do with the patent. It has to do with the theory. It has to do with these viruses. The fourth column, you'll see. There's hundreds of papers that have been published out there, for you to get answers on. Um, a lot of research. A lot. A lot of information for people in general. Um, yeah, I've got a Twitter handle. I guess it's what. Uh, what is my Twitter handle? Uh, for people who want to harass me on Twitter, I guess, uh, at Dr. Underscore I Underscore M Underscore V, um, just because I took a play off the, the person who was harassing me so much. So at Dr. I Am V uh, on, on Twitter, if you want to see something there. I don't go on Twitter all the time. I think I'm like most people. If I get on it and I start seeing what I consider stupid things, I start posting, and then I look at myself and think, well, there's half an hour of my life I'll never get back and then I get off Twitter. Right. Um, so, and we're attempting to leave this information out there for people. I'm on Rumble, so if you go to Rumble, I put a number of the videos there. I, I literally don't have just one place. We are in the process of putting a site together where you can go, and I'll try to post that on Twitter later on today where you can go to it, and then it gets you all those links. Right. Um, not, not that anybody really needs to. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, me. Um, I'm not, I think, as, I'm not as important as the people who've suffered and died with well, all of this. Well, my, very, my, my function is to go after these folks. Well, you're very important, though, because we need courageous champions of the movement, and you're one of them. Um, ladies and gentlemen, today is Band Camp Friday. As you guys know, I'm a musician, and uh, Band Camp Friday is where you could support my music. And I get all of the money. I don't have to share it with a corporation on this one particular day. So please go to my website, Jeremiah Hosea, two H's in the middle, JeremiahHosea.com, J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H-H-O-S-E-A.com. Please support my music. Please uh, subscribe for free to my Substack. Please follow me on Twitter. I'm this guy. I don't even have 500 followers on Twitter yet, and I have these big shots on my show. So you guys got to help pump up this show so it could be a, a resource and an asset to the movement. Um, thank you, Dr. Fleming. I hope we can have you on sometime again soon. It's been a, quite a pleasure, and I'll have an archive to send you that will be uploaded by Monday.
Thank Very you. kind. Thank you for the invitation. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Have a wonderful weekend and wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, everybody.